Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is October the 6th, 2023. It's been 3,510 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 225 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. You can use our Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed, and there is a link in the podcast description. The Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine Morning Reports, Operational Commands North, South and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth. Because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. Our continued assessment that the soft response by Ukraine's allies after Russian aggression on Ukraine's border would continue to encourage Moscow to take additional risks was regrettably accurate, with another attack on the Ukrainian-Romania-Orlivka-Isakcha border checkpoint and the mining of a Turkish cargo ship. Our previous assessments on September the 22nd and September the 28th that the Ukrainian Navy had achieved a strategic victory in the Black Sea and that the Russian Black Sea fleet was being relocated from Sevastopol were accurate. We assess the removal of the United States Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, with no indication that a new Speaker will be elected in the short or medium term has put the ongoing Ukrainian offensive at extreme risk. We further assess that the abrupt ending of US military aid will be catastrophic if a resolution is not reached within the next 28 days. Additionally, we believe Russian forces will increase their attacks theater-wide in an attempt to exhaust Ukrainian resources before a resolution on continued United States aid is reached. Western partners are not meeting their promised military training, heavy equipment and ammunition delivery dates, and while Ukrainian military leaders are not blameless, these continued delays are negatively impacting Ukraine's military capabilities. The inability of Russian military leaders to stop the ongoing Ukrainian offensive and retake the battlefield initiative has put significant pressure on Russian chief of staff Valery Gerasimov who has been in charge of all Russian forces in Ukraine since January 2023. We do not believe that Russian forces will withdraw from Tokmak to conserve available combat potential for future offensives or the defense at the rear areas of Zaporizhia and Kherson. Finally, Russia is actively targeting Ukraine's energy infrastructure, and while the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously.
Today's action report starts in the Donbass. In Luhansk, in the Svatova area of operation, or AO, Russian forces continued probing attacks east of Makiivka. Videos showed Russian advances in areas we had already mapped under Russian control, so no map changes were made. Four civilians were evacuated from Makiivka, which is under constant shelling. The group was evacuated by the regional police, who delivered stoves, fuel and bread to the remaining residents. Near Kremina, the Russian Ministry of Defense, or ARMOD, claimed that Ukrainian forces continued offensive operations near Dibrova. Following the line of conflict into northeast Donetsk, heavy fighting continued east of Krishchivka and Andriivka. Ukrainian forces claimed to have advanced further east of the railroad grade in the direction of Odradivka. Artillery and drones continued to interdict Russian logistics on the T513 highway ground line of communication, or GLOC, that's a supply line, and the road from Kodema. A Russian attempt to cross the Siversky Donetsk-Donbass canal near Ozarianivka in the direction of Dilivka failed. In southwestern Donetsk, fighting continues to be sporadic. In the Avdiivka AO, Russian attempts to advance on Avdiivka and Pervomaiske failed. In and north of Marienka, Russia continued to do Russian things, with no change in the situation. Near Vugladar, Russian forces were unusually active, with attacks in the directions of Paraskovivka and Novomikhailivka ending in a failure. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported a failed Russian attack in the direction of Vodyane, northeast of Vogledar. This was likely a smaller offensive launched out of Mikilska. In the Staromlinivka AO, GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces repulsed a Russian offensive from Novodonetsk in the direction of Zolotaniva. In Zaporizhia, fighting south of Orikhiv remains locked in a stalemate. Heavy fighting continued from the western edge of Verbove to the northern and eastern edges of Novoprokopivka, with Ukrainian forces making marginal gains west and southeast of Robotene. The Russian 810th Naval Infantry Brigade has likely been redeployed despite being in a combat-destroyed state. A prominent Russian mill blogger reported that fighting continued north of Kopani and claimed Ukrainian forces had made tactical gains. The International Atomic Energy Agency released an update about the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. On October 3, Reactor 6 was brought to cold shutdown, while Reactor 4 was returned to hot shutdown for steam generation. Maintenance has started on Reactor 6 to clean the heat exchangers. The IAEA inspectors were rotated for the 11th time, maintaining a permanent presence since September 1, 2022. The agency took delivery of armored vehicles from Japan to provide transportation for the inspection teams, and Germany has provided funding for private security and drivers for future rotations. Russian occupiers continued to refuse to cooperate with the IAEA inspection team. 
The team of experts has not been permitted to walk through the turbine and maintenance halls one after the other to visually confirm that Russian military hardware or ammunition isn't being moved from one area to another between inspections. Access to the rooftops of reactors 1, 2, 5 and 6 has also been blocked since May 2023. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi said, quote, We will insist until we get the access we need in order to monitor compliance with the five concrete principles for the protection of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Unquote. The radiation monitors remain disconnected from the Internet, requiring the IAEA team to use a portable system to take manual readings and report them twice a day. It's time to talk about the Black Sea, including the countries of Romania and Bulgaria, occupied Crimea and the Mukulaev and Odessa regions. We start off the coast of Romania. The Turkish-owned and flagged general cargo ship Kafka Metler struck a mine 11 nautical miles from the Romania port of Sulina, at the mouth of the Danube River. A ballast tank was damaged in the explosion, and after an inspection, the ship was able to resume sailing under its own power. The Kafka Metler is the second vessel to strike a mine in Romanian territorial waters near Sulina in the last 30 days. The Special Operation Forces, SSO, of Ukraine shared videos of attacks on occupied Crimea by commando teams on the western coast of the Kinburn Spit. Our daily situation report links to many of the pictures, videos and resources I discuss in today's report. You can subscribe to our Patreon for as little as $5 a month, and we offer a 7-day free trial. You can find a link in the podcast description or search Patreon for Malcontent News. Russian officials claim they recovered a body in a wetsuit off the coast of Crimea. The body, which had two bullet wounds, was allegedly found with a machine gun, a GPS navigational device and a radio. It was a busy night in Odessa on the Romanian border. The Ukrainian-Romania border crossing at Orlivka Isakcha was attacked for a second time, destroying at least nine trucks and a granary and heavily damaging the Ukrainian border and customs office. Ferry service has been suspended due to the attack. The prosecutor's office has opened an investigation and is documenting the damage. At the time of recording, the Romanian government had not released a statement. Now to Kherson, where Russian forces continued to shell and bomb the right bank of the Dnipro River. Kherson Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Alexander Prokudin said Russia carried out 78 fire missions on Free Kherson, firing 330 munitions, rockets, drone-delivered IEDs and bombs. Alexander Mukolaevich, 54, and Irina Mukolaevna, 60, were killed during a Russian artillery strike while cleaning up a yard owned by a relative. Four more people were wounded throughout the day. 
at least five Fab 500 bombs, possibly UMPK glide bombs, hit Bereslav. There is more information in the War Crimes and Human Rights section later in today's podcast. In an exclusive report by our executive producer and my co-host Zarina Zabriskie, an overnight attack that struck a kindergarten sent shrapnel and debris through a travel agency office, literally knocking Russia off the map. Isn't it ironic, don't you think? In the Sumy region, Russian forces conducted 22 fire missions targeting the border Hromadas, shooting over 130 munitions. One civilian was killed in a Grad rocket attack on Seredena Buda. Here is what's happening on the Russian front. Belgorod regional governor Vyacheslav Gladkov claimed that six Ukrainian drones were shot down. Pictures from area residents showed that cars were damaged by falling debris. Early in the day, three electrical substations were heavily damaged in drone attacks, knocking out power. In Kursk, electrical substations in Suja, Lyubimovka and Glushkova were also struck by drones, knocking out power across the region. Now, let's talk about theater-wide events. Russia launched 33 Shahid-136 Kamikaze drones that flew complex paths through southern, central and western Ukraine. The Air Force intercepted 25 UAVs with strikes in Odessa and Vinnytsia. There are no signs that the nightly drone strikes are slowing down. The Ministry of Internal Affairs reported that since February 24, 2022, 26,000 Ukrainian citizens have been reported missing, 15,000 soldiers and 11,000 civilians. The United States and the European Union are trying to find a valid legal basis to transfer $300 billion in frozen Russian assets to Ukraine. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, speaking at the University of Texas, Austin, said, quote, My own view is, you broke it, you bought it. And so the Russians haven't broken it, they ought to pay for it. And one way to do that would be through the use of these assets. We have to make sure that there is a legal basis to do that. And as I said, since most of the assets are in Europe, Europeans also have to be convinced that there's a basis to do it. Unquote. Verkhovna Rada MP Oleksandra Ustinova said that if the United States does not vote for new aid for Ukraine, the armed services will run out of critical munitions within six weeks. Ustinova said that Ukraine is currently spending $3 billion a month on ammunition. The High Representative of the EU for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy, Joseph Borrell, said that the economic bloc of nations is incapable of replacing US military aid if it is cut off and appealed to Washington to solve its political problems. Quote, Ukraine needs the support of the European Union, which will certainly be increased, but also the support of the United States. My hope 
the hope of the Ukrainians, and I believe of all those who do not want Putin to win, is that the United States can take the matter back into its own hands and continue to support Ukraine. Unquote. Prime Minister of the United Kingdom Rishi Sunak announced his nation would provide 34 million pounds for the UN charities providing shelter and winter clothing and another 10 million pounds for household electricity bills. After meeting with the Chancellor of Germany Olaf Scholz, President of Ukraine Volodymyr Zelensky announced the Air Force would receive an additional Patriot missile air defense system by the end of the year. Additionally, Spain will provide six more Hawk air defense missile systems. Bloomberg reported that Germany would send an additional IRST air defense system and more than a dozen Gepard self-propelled anti-aircraft guns to Ukraine to strengthen air defenses in the Odessa region. The new equipment is also expected to be deployed by the end of December. Rheinmetall has received an order for more than 10 Estonian-designed surveil-spire drone surveillance systems. The highly portable system is operated by a crew of three, connects to command and control centers using 4G or Starlink, and is solar-powered. The United States transferred more than 1.1 million rounds of 7.62 ammunition confiscated from Iran to the armed forces of Ukraine. Finally, in theater-wide events, the president of Slovakia, Zuzana Chaputova, denied reports that she had ordered a pause in military aid to Ukraine, while presumptive future prime minister of Slovakia, Robert Fico, continues to form his coalition government. What's happening in Russia? It's time for Mobics, Mobilization and Mir. Minister of Defense of Russia Shoigu said that the Russian Federation had formed nine reserve regiments with 38,000 volunteers. He went on to claim that the units were comprised of members who had completed six-month contracts and were voluntarily returning for their second or third tour of duty. In our assessment, the second part of his claim is dubious, as the Russian state Duma has repeatedly asserted that a military-wide stop-loss order is in effect, and existing contracts are permanently extended until the war ends. Russia intends to build a naval base in occupied Abkhazia, on the coast of Georgia. Located on the eastern edge of the Black Sea, the corvette Cyclon is currently docked there. This is part of Russia's response to its defeat in the Black Sea and concern over Ukrainian missile, drone and uncrewed surface vessel strikes. More complaints are emerging from Russian soldiers about the Ministry of Internal Affairs in occupied Zaporizhia and Kherson. The quote-unquote Red Hats have been repeatedly accused of stopping Russian soldiers and confiscating their vehicles, equipment, weapons and supplies without cause. Wait, so not only Ukrainians can be robbed? Or, as the Russian would say, it's different?
In our War Crimes and Human Rights section, the Russian-Ukraine War Report podcast can discuss human rights abuses and atrocities that include graphic descriptions of violence. Today's report contains some graphic content. You can move to the next chapter if you find this type of information disturbing, and estimated timestamps are in the podcast description. A Russian Iskander M short-range ballistic missile struck a cafe and grocery store in Hroza, Kharkiv, while a wake was being held for a village resident. Both structures were obliterated, killing 52, including a child, and wounding six, with three still reported as missing. Graphic images and videos showed the area strewn with bodies as cell phones of the deceased repeatedly rang. In an interview after the attack, a resident named Oleksandr reported that the missile strike killed his mother, brother and sister-in-law. The search of the rubble continued, with officials reporting that more body fragments had been located. The security service of Ukraine was investigating and checking the background of area residents. Due to the timing and accuracy of the strike, it is believed that a partisan helped coordinate the attack. For those who are ready to perceive the truth of this war, we link to numerous pictures and videos in our situation report. At least two Russian Fab 500 bombs, possibly UMPK glide bombs, struck the main hospital in Boroslav, Kherson, completely destroying the fourth floor, heavily damaging the third floor and wounding three paramedics. The facility, which was already damaged due to repeated attacks, has been rendered unusable. A video of the strike, which is considered a war crime, was documented by Russian troops on the left bank of the Dnipro river. The center of Kharkiv was hit by two ballistic missiles overnight, striking residential areas in the city center. Thirty were wounded and two killed, a 10-year-old child and his 68-year-old grandmother. The Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights released a report documenting the extrajudicial execution of six Ukrainian prisoners of war, from January to July of 2023, including one who was beheaded. The same report also said that at least 15 Ukrainian POWs had been sexually assaulted or tortured. Another report from the UN concluded that the massacre of Ukrainian POWs at Olenivka on July 28, 2022, could not have been due to a rocket fired by HIMARS, and that at least three explosive devices fired from east to west struck the building, holding Azovstal prisoners. The July 28, 2022 attack killed at least 51 POWs and wounded 139 more. Russian occupiers initially offered to allow the UN and Red Cross to access the site, but broke off cooperation. The report aligns with our analyst team's study, published on July 30, 2022. The article is available on Google News and states It's impossible that a HIMARS-fired M30 or M31 warhead was used in the strike on the POW camp. 
No usual shrapnel pattern on the walls. They are almost virgin. Even the bodies don't show shrapnel wounds, but typical blast injuries. The roof is almost intact, which is nearly impossible for the corrugated metal roof material. The roof would have been blown almost entirely. The bunk beds would have been expected to fall over and be torn apart, at least in the center of the blast radius. The blast damage and fire damage are all from the interior. Metal bars and window frames are not blown out, but show damage consistent with an interior building fire. If you want to read the entire report from our team, there is a link in the podcast description. The Ukrainian government has formally requested the extradition of Rusich Group co-founder Jan Petrovsky. Petrovsky, an avowed neo-Nazi, fought with the Russian military in 2014 and 2015, and self-documented war crimes he committed against Ukrainian POWs, including executions, torture and cutting off ears. Petrovsky was arrested by Finnish officials in August when he tried to cross the border for unknown reasons under an assumed name. The Rusich group announced it was withdrawing its mercenaries from Ukraine because the Foreign Ministry of Russia was not supporting Petrovsky. Deep breath. This was a tough report today. A side of good news. The charity organization Save Ukraine reported they had repatriated another 19 children who were illegally removed by Russian forces. The founder of the group, Mikola Kuleba, reported that they have brought 196 Ukrainian children home since first being formed. In geopolitics news, President Zelensky met with Armenian Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan for the first time. It is another indicator that the CSTO alliance is cracking apart. Zelensky said that the two leaders discussed the security situation in the South Caucasus and that Ukraine is interested in the stability of the region and friendly relations. Latvia has notified 3,255 Russian nationals who have refused to take steps toward naturalization that they have until November 30 to leave. The impacted Russians have not applied for residency visas or made other attempts to integrate into Latvia. Finally, in economic news, Ukraine suspended complaints against Poland, Hungary and Slovakia with the World Trade Organization. The issue over Ukrainian grain imports into the three nations is expected to be resolved in the coming weeks. The announcement wasn't good enough for Poland, with Minister of Agriculture Robert Telus stating that he did not understand the Ukrainian statement regarding the suspension. Quote, we demand that the complaint be withdrawn, because it is groundless and absurd. How can the Ukrainian government complain to the Polish government that the Polish government is helping a Polish farmer? This is truly absurd. Unquote. He added that a full withdrawal would improve Ukrainian-Polish relations. The ruble exchange rate continued to fall with one US dollar getting you 100 rubles at the time of recording. 
Although I can't imagine anyone saying exchanging their dollars to rubles. And that's what we know. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.